If uh, the, the aliens like manufactured you to be uh, a nah. mixed martial arts fighter, they're like, let's see if we can just turn. This I'm sure. Into I would, a bad it, I'm sure if it would have happened, I would have been much better than than, than this. Much know? better than this. You're the fucking champion. What are yeah, you talking but about? if I would be alien manufacturer, I would be a <laughs> Superman. You know. Hello, ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast. I welcome you to episode 35 of Martian Mixed Martial Arts. We have a very, very special episode for you this week. Perhaps the biggest UFC card of the year. Definitely the biggest card of the year. So I brought in a very special guest for his third time on the podcast. First time coming back in uh, four months. But my man Luke is with me today. What's up, dude? Yeah, glad to be back, man. I've been checking my phone like crazy today. I saw that O'Malley pull out, and now I'm worried. Yeah, waiting man. for somebody else to get used. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, we had Sean O'Malley get uh, Sean O'Malley get pulled from the 229 card uh, last night. Uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, you know, some USADA problem. Who the hell knows what's going on? He's a scrawny little string bean. So when USADA is pulling him from fights the week before the biggest card of the year, man, it's just another another example of USADA's typical bullshit. But uh, you know, a big fight cards always take some hits. You know, the last big fight card we had planned, uh, 223, we know just got completely completely dismantled the week of the fight. We're recording this episode uh, on Monday, uh, five days before the fight goes on. So as uh, fight fans know, five days is a lot of time for shit to happen. So uh, fingers crossed that, that everyone is wrapped up in, in bubble wrap until then. You know, fingers crossed there's no more weight issues. There's no USADA issues. Everything just remains intact. As there's a great card this weekend, and uh, we, we really need to keep it intact. We, we haven't had a, a card this big in in um, months, maybe even years. So um, before we jump into the the preview for UFC 229 this week, we are going to be recapping U- Bellator 206 that went down this past weekend. So Luke, did, did you catch the Bellator this weekend? And if you did, uh, what did you think of it? Yeah, so I fired up my free trial of DAZN, and I was at a party. I actually got it to play on the TV at the party, so I had like bunch of filthy casuals commentating on it but i checked out the whole main card that first fight gaston bolanos versus Yacido, gutierrez what'd you think about that one that was a sick ass left left hook yeah man just just destruction by bolanos uh you know he he looked really composed in there it looks like he's getting more comfortable in the mma world of combat sports you know he's an i guess we, we said last week a, a very uh, established muay thai fighter just an incredible and a muay thai fighter kickboxer but uh you know uh, struggling a little bit to adapt to mma you know hasn't fought too good competition yet and uh you know, look, he looks really, really good in this one, though. Uh, moving on to that next fight in the uh, on the Bellator card, we had Kerry Melendez defeat Dakota Zimmerman in a razor thin split decision. Man, uh, you know, Melendez, I think, was what minus fourteen hundred for this fight, and uh, somehow Kerry Melendez looks uh, f- finds a way to look, you know, just average in there. 
Um, her opponent, Dakota Zimmerman, was, I believe, plus 850, which is just unheard of for uh, for f- women's MMA, let alone a woman who's 2-0 in the, in the, or in the Bellator, excuse me. So uh, pretty competitive fight. Uh, what do you think of this one? Yeah, it was bizarre. I, I hadn't really drank the Kool-Aid on Melendez quite yet. Both of the other women she'd fought look, you know, to be soccer moms on the night that they weren't fighting. Zimmerman really impressed me. Decent guard, uh, you know, had that. I can't remember. She had what was it? An arm bar? That yeah, arm bar and triangle. Both of them. Both of them were. Yeah, pretty, that triangle deep. was deep. Really, really deep triangle. And I mean, she was working on that for a little while. I think she transitioned from the arm bar from the triangle. Uh, Melendez looks all right. I think it's really just the level of competition she's fighting. Uh, I know Bellator's strawweight division is pretty thin, so she could definitely, you know, rise up to the top pretty fast. But yeah, pretty pretty solid uh, women's MMA fight. Yeah, I was uh, surprised, you know, with two pro MMA fights between them. It, it was a bit sloppy, you know, it was a bit, you know, low level, but it was still entertaining, definitely. So um, moving on to the next uh, fight on the card, Aaron Pico, man, Bellator's biggest prospect right now. I think, you know, future UFC champion, defeat Leandro Higo by TKO in the first round. Just some of the some of the best hands in boxing already, or uh, excuse me, some of the best hands in MMA already, and he's this is his, what, fifth MMA fight? So, you know, just, just such incredible potential with Pico. Uh, what would you think of his performance? God, I mean, it's everything I wanted and more. It's so interesting to just to see such a boxing-heavy approach, you know, in MMA. Where every Bellator fight in the past has just kind of fought, felt stale and, like, really low in action. I feel like Pico is the perfect cure to that curse that Bellator kind of has. He's high action. He's got, what, three first-round finishes now, or four first-round finishes in a row correct me if i'm wrong but yeah super i mean i can't be any more high on him if i'm if i'm coker i give him one more fight before i give him one of the pitbull brothers i'd give him james gallagher so he crushes a big name and then you give him a pitbull like you said i think future ufc champion and i think he's here to stay yeah, uh, I, I think Gallagher is uh, 135 and you know quite frankly i think he would just get absolutely mauled by um Aaron Pico, so I think that they wouldn't. They, I don't think they would take out two of their their prospects in, in one fight like that. Um, but yeah, Aaron Pico, just nothing great but good things to say about him. His past opponents were a little bit, you know, low level. But Leandro Higo, you know, it was a proven, you know, a proven veteran of Bellator, eighteen and four record coming into this fight, and he was just, you know, dismantled. Uh, looked, you know, didn't look too easy. You know, Pico caught some shots in there, but he looked confident. He was able to eat some shots and come back with uh, harder ones to get the TK. KO in this one just incredible uh, performance from Pico yeah my only worry about Pico is he does kind of carry his chin a little high in exchanges but you know I'm sure his camp has addressed this and they're going to see this and try to fix it maybe a better counter base fighter can you know snipe that chin Higo didn't really have too much luck doing it but yeah I definitely think that Pico if he does get that chin down is going to be a force to be reckoned with yeah, and you know, working with the best boxing, one of the best boxing trainers of all time, um, in Freddie Roach. So I, I'm confident that they will uh, com- fix any holes in his game. And obviously, he has that uh, incredible wrestling pedigree to fall back on. So he, like I said, just uh, incredible boxer, incredible wrestler. Man, this dude is is, is scary. And uh, like I said, like we've been saying, 2022. Man, I think by then he will have a, a UFC title wrapped around his waist. 
In the first fight of the welterweight Grand Prix in Bellator, we had Douglas Lima defeat Andre Koroshkov in a, by rear naked choke in the fifth round. Man, just a uh, little bit of a boring fight uh, leading up to it. You know, a lot of stalling against the cage. But man, Douglas Lima's takedown defense was incredible in this one. He was taken down a lot by Koroshkov in their first couple fights. Uh, Rory McDonald took him down a lot, and, and that must have been the last straw for Lima in that last fight. He decided to get his takedown uh, defense on point. Uh, damn near perfect, I want to say. Uh, he might have gotten down to the canvas once, but Korshkov couldn't get really get anything going. L Lima was having his way with him on the feet, and eventually he got the choke in, in, the, in the third minute of the fifth round. Just a uh, great performance from Lima, and uh, I think that... Uh, he, uh, you know, with with how the main event went, I believe that Lima might be uh, uh, possibly the favorite to win the, the tournament at this point. Yeah, I'd agree. I think Lima's definitely the favorite to win the Bellator tournament. I saw a lot of hot takes on Twitter by some MMA journalists stating that Lima's, you know, quite possibly the best welterweight in the world, and I think that that's a mile off. You know, <laughs> I think he's good. I think his Muay Thai game's good. His takedown defense has definitely improved. I wasn't very impressed with Korshkov. I thought that Korshkov kind of gave a one-note performance, like you said, really only focused on his wrestling. I don't think Korshkov really uh, imposed any striking uh, striking that would have worried Lima too much. But, yeah, I was really impressed. Kind of, you know, not the most interesting fight. That rear naked choke was definitely uh, insane at the end where he just totally choked him out. I Lima's leg kicks are just vicious, though. You know, what he did to Rory, and then you could see that damage piling up on Korshkov as well. So, I don't know. You know, you put Douglas Lima and Tyron Woodley in a cage one night, and if Lima's available to, able to avoid that right hand, he gets those leg kicks going. You never know, but tough to, tough to go all the way in with some people and agree that he's the best at 170. Yeah, that, that that's a ridiculous claim. Top top ten, maybe uh, even top five welterweights in the world for sure. But um, you know, saying he's the best is is ridiculous. Uh, but yeah, like, good point about Korshkov. Just really couldn't get anything going on the feet in this one. Didn't really threaten Lima at all. And uh, Douglas Lima, I think, was like sixteen to one favorite after the fourth round or something like that. So he uh, he seemed uh, was like he was cruising to a decision anyway. Yeah. In the co-main event, we Lima's, the, oh, oh, go ahead, go ahead about Lima. Say it. I was just gonna say he's evolved so much over the course of his career that takedown defenses came a long way. Korshkov's been a guy who's kind of stayed stagnant. You know, his game has kind of just stayed the same. He's never really evolved or changed. He's had losses to guys like Askren. You know, where it was a takedown-heavy game plan. But yeah, Lima. It is nice to see Lima evolve over time. For sure, and he improved incredible, incredible leaps from his last fight. And in the uh, the co-main event, we had the quadology fight. Whatever you know, the uh, it could be a, a quintuplet. Uh, you know, whatever. I was trying to figure out a name for this for this fight last week, but I settled on quadology. Quentin Rampage Jackson defeating Vanderlei Silva by TKO nine minutes and thirty seconds into this fight. Uh, you know, a lot, a lot better of a fight than I expected. I expected one of these old fucks to f go down on the first punch that landed, but they, uh, they both of them uh, ate some shots. You know, they, both of them looked uh, not not terrible. You know, Vanderlei Silva was you know throwing a couple of head kicks in there that actually looked like he had some decent flexibility. Uh, Rampage, you know, his boxing was on point, and uh, you know that's how he ended up getting the finish in this one. 
bit of an early stoppage, I would say, but, um, you know, it, he's the referee. Uh, Mike Beltran was, uh, you know, just looking out for these old guys. You know, they're, they're 40 and 42. They're both heavyweights. Uh, they're not cutting any weight anymore, luckily, and, um, you know, it's, it's good to stop those fights early. So, uh, you know, fun fight. Uh, was more fun than I expected, honestly, but in Rampage coming out on top. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really expect much, like you said. I didn't really know how. I The two ways I saw it going was somebody gets clipped really early or it goes three boring rounds after somebody gets rocked and gasses out. Uh, yeah, I was impressed with Wanderlei, honestly, more than anything. I knew how Rampage was going to come out. I figured, you know, kind of exactly how he fought was really what I was looking forward to. But I didn't really see Wanderlei, like you said, throwing those head kicks and kind of just like those vintage nasty hooks digging <laughs> upstairs into the body i mean the success he had while he was still in there was pretty impressive so i thought he was done after that loss to chael but i mean you know if you're wanderlei have a couple more fights in bellator make a little bit of that sweet retirement cash yeah and uh maybe they should bring in uh i don't know crow crop or something next and uh, really get these these rematches going uh or shogun or something uh yeah, but, yeah pretty fun fight though um and in the main event, we had Gegard Mousasi put a beat down on Rory McDonald, stopping him in the second round by TKO via elbows and punches. Just vicious, vicious ground and pound. Uh, the fight started off, and uh, in the first 30 seconds, Gegard Mousasi snapped Rory's head back with a jab. And the jab has been Rory McDonald's uh, Achilles heel in his MMA career. Five jabs later, uh, Rory it was already, you know, he didn't know what to do. He, he was, you know, looked like he started panicking. He, um, you know, uh, then eventually uh, went for a desperation Imanari roll in the second round. And, uh, you know, just it, it totally backfired. Musashi got on top and just completely pounded him out. A brutal, bloody finish. Uh, good stoppage from Herb Dean. And, uh, man, just I, uh, I did not expect Gegard Musashi to run through Rory McDonald as easily as he did. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy, but that's kind of exactly how I saw it going. I think that Rory has a lot of success when he's able to implement, like, his... I wouldn't call it pressure fighting, but, and, you know, Rory really does well adapting his game plan to different fighters, but I knew that Gegard's jab, Gegard's jab is like most people's, you know, stronghand punch. Like, Gegard just has that piston-like jab that, you know, it works well against guys like Rory, and then there's guys like Machida who can get past it. But, yeah, that Eminari roll was one of the most puzzling moves. I would put it up there with Weidman's spinning heel kick mm -hmm. as, like, confusing mid-fight I know he was getting jabbed apart, so there's probably really nothing he could do. Yeah, it was it was desperation at its finest. Yeah, Gegard's ground and pound was scary. I feel like Gegard, Gegard's the sky's the limit over there at Bellator. It's just, it, I feel awful that the UFC let him go. You know, honestly, I think Gegard versus Robert Whitaker is one of the highest level matchups the UFC can make. Gegard, Yoel, I mean, shoot, Gegard at 205. Gegard... Gustafson, Gegard Jones, I'd like to see any of them. Yeah, uh, you know, what I would, I, the UFC has let a lot of guys go, and uh, a lot of those guys have done well over in Bellator. You know, uh, the 170, 185, and light heavyweight champion are, I believe, are all former UFC champions. I would like to see the UFC just go ahead and sign right one of them right back. You know, 
Gegard's probably making some making some cash over there. So let, let's let's figure out what uh, Gegard was making in the UFC, and let's figure out what he's making in Bellator because I mean, that's that's what that's what it's, it's coming down to the brass tacks. I mean, re, re, um, Gegard's a big fan of drug testing. Uh, you know, is he seems to be pretty vocal on that. I seem, uh, and uh, he actually mentioned that in his post-fight uh, interview with uh, a, a question towards Leona Machida, said, I'll fight him. And he said, with drug testing. And uh, so, you know, he's very adamant on that. So uh, the UFC obviously has a huge edge on Bellator uh, in that aspect. So it seems like the, the money was the main thing driving Gegard Musasi. It looks like he's making 90000 and 90000 in the UFC, and uh, I don't know if Bellator discloses their their, their payouts, honestly. But uh, let's let's take a look and see if we can find that. Um, I'm almost certain he's making better money than that. For sure. Way oh yeah, better he, money well, he has to. Uh, 150,000, no win bonus. That's that's interesting. That's very interesting. But he does get sponsorships and not Reebok pay. Yeah, that's that's a that's right. a big one. And I mean, he's he's you know, and and you know, one thing is money, and the other thing is exposure. Uh, he headlined UFC 205 and you or um, excuse me, uh, Bellator 200 and Bellator 206, two, two of Bellator's biggest cards in the past you know couple of years. So, uh, the, I mean, he's he's the top guy over there. He was one of ten middleweights who was on a card every now and then. You know, maybe co-main event, maybe fight night uh, headliner in the UFC. But now he's top of the bill, top title fights, super fights in Bellator. He's, you know, possibly the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in Bellator. So... You know, there, there's a there's a lot more than you know. He might be sacrificing forty thousand dollars from his. Uh, well, here's the thing: he got ninety thousand to show. Uh, he might get an extra ninety thousand to win, but in Bellator, he's making one hundred and fifty thousand no matter what. Like you said, great point about the sponsorships. You can make a hundred, two hundred thousand, maybe even more than that. I think Rory McDonald was making I think two hundred and fifty thousand dollars from like a cryptocurrency sponsor uh, for his Bellator fights. You know, so sponsors pay big, and especially when you're like I said, the main event of the biggest events there. You you know your sponsor tag is probably a lot of money. So there's no doubt that Gegard is making more money and. Uh, I'm sure he's just happier, you know, being the top dog over there. Can't really, and he's, you know, fighting, fighting good fights. You know, Rory, you know, Lovato Jr. is next, Machida. It's not like he's fighting, you know, uh, bums, easy fights. He's still getting great competition. And, um, you know, uh, I'm happy with uh, Musasi's move. Yeah, so overall, what did you think about the presentation on DAZN and the pacing and everything? You know, this was a new foray for Bellator going to this streaming service. I, I myself really liked it. I had some issues with the stream, but I mean, other than that, I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, same same to, with me. Uh, the stream at some points it was a little laggy, but for, I think that was just early. I don't know. I think that the the problems got a lot better throughout the night. One thing I did notice is it was it's it, they have an Xbox app for it, um, which for me is really better because at my apartment, uh, I I my laptop is wireless and my uh, Xbox is wired, so you know uh, the wired connection is obviously going to be better. And when I watch pay per views, I can't get them on my TV, so I have to you know rely on Wi Fi, but but, you know, so whenever a card is on Fox Sports Go or any type of app on the Xbox, I really uh, appreciate it. And I I bet a lot more people around the world do. You know, r people with Roku's and Chromecast and uh, you know Amazon Fire sticks, all that shit. You know, you can you don't need a, a TV subscription to watch uh, Bellator basically. So. 
Uh, I think it was good, and the pacing, man, is great. You know, a fight's over, they do the interview, and within, you know, within three or five minutes, the people are already walking out for the next fight. Uh, it's it, it's great pacing. You know, they they tried a six fight card at 10 p.m. I believe it's their first time they ever ever done that. They always start at 9 p.m. over at Bellator, but they uh, they did that. They uh, you know strange move, a, a bad move. I think in my mind, you know, they had uh you know that that kind of slow fight with Lima and Korshkov that went on till midnight, and then they still had two more fights that started you know after midnight. So that's never ideal. Uh, you know, theoretically, if you have you know, two five round uh, you know co-main and main events, and both of those go the distance. That card could have been going on till one thirty in the morning. Luckily, there was two finishes uh, in the co-main and main event, so it shortened it up a bit. But uh, you know, I would l- like to see them start earlier and like to see them you know stick with four or five fight cards. Because man, one thing I noticed about this is I tuned into this card at ten p.m. and it was it was you know I caught the six main card fights and it was it was great. But and I, and I I woke up the next morning and I. And I I felt you know just so much better that I only tuned in for three hours instead of when I'm when I'm watching UFC it's like I'm tuning in at 6:30 and I'm not done till one o'clock the next day I wake up and it's like man I spent all night last night watching fights seven eight hours and while uh, you know they got it short and sweet and to the point with Bellator so great great uh, event for them really happy that they're starting to get their shit figured out yeah and their production values like I said I I watched it with a I was at my girlfriend's 21st birthday and we just tossed it on the TV. I had a bunch of, you know, just a bunch of diverse group of people and almost everybody at the party at one point was down at the couch, down on the couch watching the fights. A lot of the comments I got from some of the casual people who were watching it is, you know, they, they thought the production values in Bellator were better than that of the UFC. You know, the big screen kind of like pride style walkouts that goes a long way in attracting casuals. And I think if Bellator really does market this zone app and they get out there and they use that paramount money to market that they can definitely compete with the UFC when it comes to single events, you know, skill level of fighters and all that different stuff. It's going to be tough to catch up to the UFC, but if they continue to make these Rampage versus, you know, everybody knows who Rampage is. Everybody in the whole party showed up and came and watched Rampage fought because they've seen him in the A-team. You know, they know who he is. So they have some of that name value, and they if they use that and they play to their strengths, I think they're going to have, you know, a profitable couple of next year. Yeah, I, I agree. I bet your girlfriend loved the fact that you, uh, you, you weren't you were watching fights instead of uh, hanging out with her at her party. But uh, <laughs> brave man, brave man. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, that... she got a kick out of it. She didn't expect anything less. Uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, she's 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 a, a that's a good one right there. Then she understands the the need for MMA. Um, well, with that being said, that that's Bellator 206. We're going to be moving on to UFC 229 going down from Las Vegas, Nevada, headlined by the lightweight title fight between Khabib, the equal Nurmagomedov, and the lineal champ, Connor, the notorious McGregor. So uh, if you were uh, you know interested in that fight, I will give you a timestamp on when to hear the analysis of that one. But... Uh, Fortunate for you, we have 11, 11 fights before then, I believe. Um, 
So, uh, you know, just stay tuned uh, if you're interested in those uh, in the first 11. And then, like I said, if you're interested in just hearing Connor, uh, that analysis, I will give you a link to uh, that in the description of, uh, of the, the YouTube video. So um, starting off with the first fight on the card, Ryan LaFlair, who is 14-2, is taking on Tony Martin, who is 13-4. and four. The betting line for this fight opened up at Tony Martin plus 165, Ryan LaFlair minus 190, and a lot of a lot of line movement coming in on this one uh, on Tony Martin's way, you know, shrinking him down, you know, t- uh, tighten up these line margins a little bit. Right now, I see it at plus 120 to uh, Tony Martin, Ryan LaFlair at minus 140. So, uh, pretty pretty significant line change in this one. Ryan LaFlair is, uh, you know, an, a great wrestler. I believe he was a Division One wrestler in college. A little bit older now. He's 35 years old, coming off of a good win against uh, Alex Garcia in his last fight, and uh, you know Tony Martin coming off of a good win again in, in his last fight against uh, what was that Japanese gentleman's name? Uh, pulling it up. Uh, Kida Nakamura, uh, you know, he jumped up to uh, welterweight for the first time last fight, and he looked pretty good in this one. So, uh, what do you think in uh, in uh, Tony Martin versus Ryan LaFlair? I mean, this jumps off at me as being the easiest fight to pick on the entire card. Tony Martin's a guy who's jumping up from lightweight to welterweight, and in my opinion, Ryan LaFlair is one of the most underrated people at welterweight. I think his top game is ridiculous. His BJJ credentials are out of this world. You know, like you said, his wrestling, his striking's pretty rudimentary, but he knows how to. He knows what he's good at. He's not going to stand up and strike with you. He has, you know, been knocked out in the past with guys who can stop his wrestling. He's going to take Tony Martin down, and he's either going to submit him or grind him out for three rounds. And that's definitely my I, – I put this fight in most of my parlays. This is my lock of the week. Interesting. Um, you know, I, I see where the respect is coming from. Tony Martin is a jiu-jitsu black belt. Uh, you know, he has, you know, he, uh, he in his fight against uh, Oliver Urban Mercier, he was able to take his back in that one. You know, uh, Mercier, a good grappler himself, he was, uh, you know, very, very close in that fight. But, man, Martin's wrestling is just on another level. Man. He's, his, his pressure uh, he, he, he'll grind you the fuck out, man. He, he's nasty. And uh, I can't believe the line movement on this one, really. Uh, you know, I think, you know, Tony, uh, you know, Ryan LaFlair should be, you know, minus 200 in this one. Uh, you know, might might be considering a play on him at, at the at minus 140, man. It's, it's it, I find it pretty safe. You know, like I said, a lot, I can't believe how many people are, are on Tony Martin in this one. And I can't believe the line movement on this one. I really, really think I might have to make a play on it. Um, so great. yeah me too i mean you look at keta nakamura i mean that's a pretty solid win he's not that bad of a grappler i just think that Lafleur brings a physicality and a strength that none of the guys that tony martin's ever fought before are going to bring you know aubin mercier is a great gra- grappler in his own right but i don't think he has a physicality of what it, like Lafleur does i think Lafleur is smart enough not to get drug into any scrambles where he could get arm barred or you know triangled I think he keeps an impressive top game, and he either, like I said, I see a three-round decision. I don't think he'll finish Tony Martin, but I can definitely see, you know, an easy 30-27 decision. Yeah, me, me too. It's, 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 it's it, I mean, it seems very likely. The fact that uh, Martin or LaFleur by uh, decision isn't uh, a favored outcome is incredible. Uh, oh, actually, it is, minus 106. So, um, yeah, uh, great, great line on that one. And uh, moving on to Nick Lentz taking on Gray Maynard in this one. Nick Lentz is 28-9-2. 
Gray Maynard, 13-6-1. Both these guys have been around forever. Uh, the betting line opened up in this one at Gray Maynard, plus 195. Uh, Nick Lentz, minus 235. Right now, Maynard is plus 185. Nick Lentz, plus, or minus 225. So not much uh, movement coming in on this one. Uh, man, but I, right off the bat, I, it, it seems to be value on Gray Maynard. Uh, Gray Maynard is, you know, obviously he's gone through his struggles lately. He uh, has had trouble with inactivity, but he's still, uh, you know, an incredible wrestler. He's still got a great uh, wrestling base, and uh, I think this is just a good matchup for him. You know, Nick Lentz, his striking is, you know, nothing special, man. His his, uh, his He's got some decent subs, um, you know, especially coming off the takedown. You know, he's submitted good wrestlers like Will Brooks with that guillotine, and, and you know, he might, might catch Maynard with it in this one. Uh, and just, you know, standing at where their careers are right now and Nick Lentz being like the younger, uh, more active guy, I would say that Lentz is the favorite, but man, I would not put him as as wide as minus 225 in this one. So, uh, like I said, values on Gray Maynard. I have not made a play on him because, man, I, I, it's, hard to trust, it's hard to trust Gray Maynard. He hasn't fought in 15 months, you know, he... I, d I can't trust him, but, uh, you know, uh, value on his line for sure. Yeah, I would. I don't think you should trust him. I think that value is, you know, basically garbage. In my opinion, Gray Maynard's chin is absolutely shot, and I think that Nick Lentz is, you know, the fresher guy here. I mean, I think if this fight happened, you know, a couple years ago, this would definitely be a closer matchup. I just don't think Gray has anything anymore. I mean, his last fight was Ryan Hall, am I correct? Uh, Terutu Ishihara. Ishihara. Man, that Ryan Hall fight is I one of the funniest fights even... ever. I, I don't remember I don't remember the Ishihara fight at all. I don't think I watched it. But man, that fight against Ryan Hall just it's it, man, it shows you where he's at mentally. Uh you know, he had a guy who, you know, was trying to pull guard, he was trying to initiate his jujitsu, and he was so frustrated that he was, you know, putting his hands up to the ref and getting like kicked in the face by Hall and you know, didn't didn't want to touch gloves after the fight and was super frustrated. It was it was hilarious. You know, if to a casual fan, you'd say, "What the fuck is up with this Ryan Hall guy? Why does he keep sitting down and running away?" But man, to a person who knows their shit, Gray Maynard was the one who was running in that fight. He wanted no part to do with Ryan Hall, and literally looked like he gave up like halfway through the fight. So you know, just, like you said, uh, just a question questions his his mental ability in this one. Yeah, I mean, Lentz is sneaky good, too, like that Brooks fight. There's been so many different fights. I mean, even that Chad Mendez fight that, uh, you know, Lentz had. I know Chad Mendez had the flu or some shit during that fight, but, I mean, Lentz looked – that was when Mendez was unstoppable, and Lentz didn't look awful against Chad Mendez for the short time he was in there with him. But, yeah, I, I definitely would go Lentz. Both of these guys are, you know – probably on the tail end of their careers. Definitely Gray Maynard's way on his way out, way more than what Nick Lentz is. I wouldn't be confident enough to put any play on Gray Maynard. I'm probably not going to touch this fight betting-wise. Yeah, me neither. Um, it's a, you know, just a clear, clear pass for me. I mean, so I, I see a lot of guys out there who have trouble passing on fights. They think that there's they they're, they're, they're just because they know MMA and they're good at picking fights and they're good at making bets, they think that they, you know, there's value on every fight, but I can I can guarantee you there is not. So, uh, you know, don't be afraid to pass on this one because uh, I think it's a very passworthy. Um, in, in the next fight, we have... 
Alan Patrick, who is 15 and 1, taking on Scott Holtzman, who is 11 and 2. Alan Patrick opened up in this one at minus 250. Scott Holtzman at plus 210. The line currently sits at almost identical, minus 255 for uh, Patrick and Holtzman at plus 215. You know, with how many guys we see absolutely steamrolled to favorites you know just people who like we were saying carrie melendez is a girl you know she's got good decent skill i would say she should have been minus 300 last fight but like i said so many people are just you know they love they they can't not pass on a fight they have to put some action on it they're like oh carrie melendez yeah she yeah, she should be minus 400 i'll just put 300 dollars on uh, on carrie melendez and then you know everyone does that and it gets all the way to minus 1400 with how many favorites we've been seeing the era of the juice that has been going on these past couple of years, uh, apparently, in MMA. You know, I've been talking to betters who have been around much longer, and they said lines have never gotten this wide before. You know, I don't know if it's p- more people betting. I don't know if it's sports books, uh, like, lowering the amount of uh, uh, that a limit needs to shift a betting line. I don't know what it is, but there's a lot more heavy favorites. Alan Patrick should be a heavier favorite than he is right now. This dude is incredible. He is, people call him the Brazilian Nurmagomedov. He's got just incredible wrestling, incredible jiu-jitsu, incredible cardio, man. He, he, he will put the pace on you and, and beat you down. You know, his only loss in his career coming to Marybeck Tysimov where he was, wasn't was able to implement his takedowns and, you know, got smoked on the feet in this one. But, you know, he's fighting another guy who's, you know, kind of just like a, a wrestle boxer like Scott Holtzman. Uh, hasn't had too much success in the UFC. Uh, you know, I, I think it, this is a very clear win for uh, Alan Patrick, and I would I would trust him at minus 250. So uh, Alan Patrick, like you said, great fighter. Scott Holtzman, kind of that wrestle boxing style. I don't know. I, I just – for all the footage I've watched for this fight, and you know, I've seen all of Alan Patrick's fights, I've seen all of Scott Holtzman's fights. I'm just not confident in this one. Kind of like you said, I don't make plays on stuff. I don't feel obligated to make a play on every fight on a card. I make plays on stuff that I trust and that I go back and I research. I just don't feel confident in this fight. I don't know why. I should. It should be Alan Patrick steamrolling Scott Holtzman, but I feel like Scott Holtzman has enough of a chance that I don't want to trust the minus 250. Yeah, I mean, I haven't bet on it myself, but, uh, you know, like I said, I was just, uh, you know, using that as a point where I can't I can't imagine betting on people minus more than minus 200 often, but uh, this would be a spot where I could see how people uh, could, could trust him. Yeah, uh, Scott Holtzman is somewhat chinny, too. I mean, I think in most of his fights, he's been significantly rocked. Patrick can sling it with the best of them, so... You know, might not be a terrible bet just to toss like, you know, Buck or something on uh, Patrick by KO, TKO. Yeah, um, I mean, I imagine that his, most of the money is tied up in his like decision line or his submission line. But, um, you know, I'm looking over on this uh, website, uh, Sportsbook Review, a great new resource I just discovered. Uh, it seems, you know, dis- uh, it says how what percentage of wagers are coming in on um each fighter and it's it shows that 44 percent of people are betting on scott holtzman so seems like there's a lot of people who are you know maybe on board with you who maybe don't trust patrick as deep as minus 250 and are actually uh you know are a little bit inconfident in that and putting some money on holtzman so should be a good wrestling uh wrestling fight in this one and um moving on to the next fight we have yana kunitskaya yana kunitskaya taking on Lena Landsberg. Uh, kind of, Yana is 
ten and four. Uh, Lena is eight and three. And the betting line for this one opened up at Yana Kunitskaya minus one sixty five. Lena Landsberg plus one forty five. Uh, what are you thinking uh, for this uh, fight between these two ladies? I haven't seen enough of Yana Kunitskaya. You know, I saw the fifteen seconds of the cyborg fight, and I've seen her Invicta fights, but. Landsberg's legit. You know, she has pretty good striking. She's got a really good chin, kind of that Muay Thai base. Um, at my head says Kunitskaya, no play on it betting wise, but if I had to go with anybody, I'd say Kunitskaya by decision. Yeah, for sure. That's the way I would go to. Uh, I think Yana's going to be able to take her down and uh, probably win win a fight, um, just a wrestling fight. I think Lands, like you said, Landsberg, uh, you know, good striker, but um, her mo- her uh, ground game is definitely her weakness, and I think that uh, that will be exposed in this one. You know, Aspen Lad uh, took her down and pounded her out. And uh, I think that uh, you know that's a ch- there's a chance Kuniskaya does the same thing, although she doesn't really not really a, a ground and pound type fighter, more of a submission fighter. And uh, speaking of Aspen Lad, uh, she is in the next fight. Aspen Lad, who is six and zero, taking on veteran Tonya Evinger, who is nineteen and seven. Man, all these girls have been slayed by Christina. Uh, Chris, uh, I, I, don't, I shouldn't even go, try to say her real name. Uh, Cyborg. She, they've been slayed by Cyborg. Three of these girls have been uh, have lost uh, to Cyborg in the past, you know, couple years. Um, so the betting line for this one, Aspen Lad opened up minus one twenty. Tonya Evinger plus one hundred. Looking over at five dimes right now, we have Aspen Lad minus one sixty, Tonya Evinger plus one forty. So a lot, um, a lot of money coming in Aspen Lad. Uh, here's another interesting thing with this sportsbook review dot com. Sixty one percent of wagers are coming in on Tonya Evinger, and only thirty nine percent Aspen Lad. Even though Aspen Lad's money line has shifted uh, from minus one twenty to minus one sixty, so the the thirty nine percent of people who are betting on Lad are betting big. And, uh, you know, that's there's still, uh, despite there being, uh, you know, 22% differential in where the bets are coming in, uh, the line is still moving Aspen Lad's way. So, uh, you know, in terms of analysis for this fight, I don't I don't have much. I, I see Aspen Lad as, uh, you know, a girl who's on, on the come up. She's, you know, been, uh, unfortunately, I think had some weight issues in her last fight and got that fight canceled the week of. But she's, uh, you know, has wins over uh, Sajara Eubanks, who's, uh, you know, one of the top women at uh, women's flyweight right now. And like you like said, uh, over uh, Lena Landsberg as well. Also has a very, uh, very... Uh, established amateur record at seven and one. Very rare you see a, a woman with with that much of an uh, an ex- amateur record. So, despite her being you know the way less experienced fighter, Aspen Lad, I I still trust her against the the, the veteran in Evinger. Man, it's, she's coming off of a knee injury. She's uh, must be thirty you know thirty seven years old. Man, come on. Um, had a bunch of recent fights canceled. Three out of her last four fights were canceled, and she also got that ass beat by uh, Cyborg. So. Uh, I favor Aspen Ladd in this one, and uh, what do you think about this one, Luke? Man, have you seen the pictures on Twitter of Aspen Ladd after this new strength and conditioning program? Yeah, she's she's uh, juiced to the tits. No, no, she's ripped. <laughs> yeah, she's pretty ripped up. I, I, I'm not going to lie. That made me want to go hit up Bovada or five dimes after I saw that picture. But, yeah, I'm going to have to agree. I got Ladd by, you know, probably – Maybe TKO after taking Evinger down and just pounding her out. I think that Lad's growing and, you know, adding more tools to her arsenal. I've watched a lot of Lad's earlier fights, and I've always thought that she was going to be one to watch in that division. Uh, Evinger's, you know, 
great fighter. She's established herself a long time, you know, multiple time champion. I just think she's on her way out right now. Yeah, but yeah, just a little bit, little bit over the hump for for Evinger. Because man, looking at her record, dude, she's she's got a lot of finishes. She's got a lot of submissions, good amount of TKOs over, uh, you know, and she also has you know a good amount of losses to um, well established girls too. But man, she's been fighting for uh, twelve years. Also coming off a uh, win against Yana Kunitskaya, uh, choked choked her out uh, last year. So she's not she's not totally shot. Uh, I think, and uh, you know, Aspen Lad uh, is you know not some dominating force that should just run through Evinger. But uh, you know, no bets on this one. But I think uh, Aspen Lad will get it done. But uh, oh yeah, it goes to decision. It, it should it should go to decision in this one. Yeah, I'd say decision. And I mean, like you said, shout out Tonya Evinger. She's been doing it for so long and one of the best to do it in the women's division. And uh, a fight that's not going to the decision is the next fight. Vicente Luque taking on Jalen Turner. Vicente Luque, 13-6-1. Jalen Turner is 7-3. and three. I'm sorry, Mr. Turner, but it seems like he's uh, a lamb brought in for slaughter on this one. Uh, you know, Vicente Luque has been super active in the UFC. He uh, he was coming off an incredible finish uh, over Chad LaPreece uh, just a few months ago. Also uh, submitted Nico Price. Uh uh, Blal Muhammad. He's got great wins. His only loss is coming off of uh, Leon Edwards um, last year. Uh, you know, he got just wrestled, fucked, and put it up against the cage and couldn't implement anything. But man, he's got submissions. He's got striking. He's he's a, a wrecking ball. And Jalen Turner. Don't know much about the gentleman, but I do know that this is his first fight in the UFC. He had uh, uh, oh no, he fought on Dana White's Choose Night Contender Series. He fought on Bellator. Um, but man, you got it. You know, it's a short notice fight for him, uh, and he's coming in facing a killer like Luke. You you got to think that this one's not going to go his way. Uh, let's see what the the betting lines opened up in this one. At um, we have Vicente Luque opening up at. Don't see it on the website, unfortunately. Where 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 are you at? It's not, it's not on uh, sportsbookreview.com. I have to transition over to be- Best Fight Odds. Excuse me. Vicente Luque opened up at minus 320. Wow. And uh, Jalen Turner at plus 240. And Vicente Luque is now minus 800 to plus 550 on Jalen Turner. So, like I said, you know, his, his line just got steamrolled from minus 300, minus 320 to uh, minus 800. And Vicente Luque should get this one done pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm feeling kind of the same thing. Uh, initially, I thought this was going to kind of play out how Kevin Holland, Tiago Santos played out. You know, you get a Dana White's contender series guy, he fights someone established like Tiago Santos, and you know, it's like a, it's a pretty even. Not, I would say even, but it's a pretty well skilled affair. I think Luke will steamroll Turner. I think that Turner is kind of just a mediocre regional fighter who with a couple more fights in the UFC against his level competition could turn out to be something, you know, somewhat semi-special. I just think Luke is too much too soon for him right now. Like you said, great striking, amazing ground game. You know, he had that one loss to Edwards and Edwards is as polished and experienced as they come at Luke by stoppage. I think he can get it done on the feet or on the ground. Yeah, I see this one uh, ending quickly. I mean, I think the does not go the distance is you know minus minus four hundred or something like this in this one. Let's check that out. Uh, minus three twenty five. Luke inside the distance has got to be minus three hundred or something like that. Uh, let's see what we got here. Luke inside the distance minus two forty. Yeah, that's that's almost as steep as inside the distance line goes. Man, that's crazy. So yeah. 
Turner's got two losses by TKO as well. Yeah, I, I haven't seen him, though. I, I didn't know that he fought on the Dana White show, so I have to check out that before I totally re uh, rule him a sheep for slaughter. Um, next fight, I believe this is the Fight Pass prelims headliner. We have Sergio Pettis, who is 17-3, taking on Juicy Formiga, who is 21-5. This might be the flyweight, uh, you know, number one contender fight right here. I, I don't see how it's not, honestly. Sergio Pettis is coming off of a decision win, razor-thin decision win, I might add, over um, Joseph Benavidez. But, man, uh, as close as that fight was, Pettis looked great in it. He, uh, he, you know, looked like his his hands and his boxing have improved greatly. Even got a little bit of power behind his hands now. He uh, put Joe ben, Joe B on his butt a few times with some knockdowns in that fight. Juicier from Niga though is always game, man. Always incredible ground game. He, uh, you know, is coming off of two rear naked chokes in a row uh, over Oka Sasaki, who is a submission uh, artist himself, and Ben Nguyen, who is not so much. But um, you know, he. Uh, but this should be it. Should be a great fight. I think you know on the feet. I think Pettis will control it easily. If it stays on the feet, I think the Pettis could finish Formiga, but it will not stay on the feet. Formiga is relentless with the takedown. Uh, I think that, you know, he will get Pettis down once in this fight. And, uh, you know, I, I, I have no idea who's going to win this fight. I think that each round is going to be different. I think if Pettis wins the first, then Formiga's going to win the second, you know, and vice versa. You know, if, if Formiga gets him down in the first, then I don't think he's going to get him down in the second. And then it'll be 1-1 headed into the third. And who the hell knows who's going to dig deep and get the third. If I had to trust one person in the third round, though, it would be uh, Sergio Pettis. He, uh, you know, has has trained for five, five rounds more recently, and I, you know, just trust his gas tank a little bit more than uh, Juicier for Amiga. The betting lines in this one are, uh, you know, are very very tight, just like the, just like you'd expect they'd be. Sergio Pettis min minus one fifty five, Juicier for Amiga at plus one thirty five, and that's exactly what it stands at right now at five dimes. You know, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure a lot of action is coming in on this fight, but uh, it's just not really affecting the betting line too much. Um, so I'm really looking forward to this one, man. Flyweight, I just can't say good, enough good things about flyweight right now. Uh, I, I think we had a, you know, I, I don't know if it was last card or the card before that, but we had some, I remember we had some great flyweight fights as of lately, and hopefully that, that ball keeps rolling. So what are you thinking about man, this Man, you one? took the words out of my mouth. You know, it's 2011 was when the UFC flyweight division started, and it's just been a pleasure to see a division grow and have challengers. I I feel like I've seen Sergio Pettis grow up in the UFC. You know, he's had his first couple fights. He even had, you know, a couple losses. He had that loss where he got flatlined by, uh, what was that guy's name? Uh, um, uh, the head kick. I know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, yeah. But it's it's been great just to see the flyweight division mature and grow. And, you know, even though we lost – Demetrius Johnson is champion. Now we have, you know, former Olympian Henry Cejudo representing the flyweight division. So I'm really excited for this matchup. I've kind of gone back and forth with this one in the previous week. I've, I'm kind of more resolute in my decision. I feel like Pettis is going to take this one. I think that Joe B win was huge for me. I know Joe B's kind of washed up and that was his first fight in a while. I think Pettis, like you said, definitely has the chops on the feet. And I think his jiu-jitsu is good enough not to get caught by something by formiga my worry is is that he gets taken down and smothered by formiga i'm not worried about him getting submitted but i do think he's going to be able to use his counter wrestling skills and play with a he jab heavy like kind of distance management game plan and take a unanimous decision or a split yeah that so like i said that benavides fight was was close as they come and uh looking at looking at the M 
MMADecisions.com. 66% of people scored that fight for Joseph Benavidez. Interesting. I did not know this. And uh, Sergio Pettis, only 32% of people uh, believe that he that he won. Amazing. And let's see. We have Pettis won the first round convincingly, 10-9. Uh, 92% of people agree that. 73% of people believe Benavidez won round two. And 77% of people believe Benavidez won round three. So I might have to go back and rewatch that fight and see see what that's all about. So I, I, I remember being close. I remember the knockdowns in the first. And I remember, you know, Pitt. Benavidez looking good in the, the latter rounds, but I don't remember, you know, who I clearly scored it for. So, uh, you know, it, and obviously Sergio Pettis uh, fighting Henry Sudo, the champion, like you mentioned, pretty recently and losing to him. So that doesn't look too good. You know, obvi- you know obviously fighting a different animal in that fight wrestling-wise, though, and an Olympic uh, gold medalist. But I believe Sergio Pettis should be the favorite, and I'm going to side with you thinking that he's going to get this one done. Um, unfortunately, like we mentioned in the first fight, I believe this, this, this should have been the, uh, the headliner of the prelims. It should have been Sean O'Malley taking on Jose Alberto Quinoez, but Sean O'Malley was, uh, flagged by USADA this past week. Um, it was not made public by USADA yet, but because there is some new provisions saying that they're not announcing a failed drug test until the person is proven guilty. But, you know, I don't understand how the fuck that works. So if, if, if Sean O'Malley didn't want to voice to people, Hey, I have this problem problem with USADA would he have just been pulled off of this card and then they would have been radio silent about why they would have just said you know Sean O'Malley out of and then it, you know if it was a guy who was very prideful and didn't want to admit that he did anything wrong or didn't didn't want to admit he failed this test uh you know he could have just been like I said silent about why he got pulled and just so I don't understand how that's going to work uh, I do like the fact that they're not announcing it before they're proven guilty uh because you know it can can kind of like you know negatively affect the person's a fighter's career if they have an announced drug test and then it ends up being you know uh you know receded or proven that it was wrong but uh we took a hit on this card unfortunately um but I'm sure O'Malley will be back soon yeah, I took a hit in all my parlays. I'll tell you that. I first, I'm not a really big believer in Sean O'Malley. I think he's good, but I think Quinones could have gave him some problems, you know, on the feet. I think that O'Malley throws with a lot of variety and he does throw a lot of strikes. But I don't know. Yeah, I was pretty pissed off about losing this one too. Uh, as far as the whole Usada thing goes, it's definitely good not to disparage a fighter's name. If, you know, the whole Junior Dos Santos thing, everybody thought he cheated for so long, and then he ends up coming, does come back and gets his name rectified. And then there's still people who don't know that, you know, he really didn't take steroids. So that's definitely a step in the right direction. But you still do have that confusion, like you said. If O'Malley doesn't say anything, then you'd, people either speculate it's an injury or they don't know what to speculate. Now people, if people do pull out of cards, everyone's just going to speculate it's for a drug test failure. So, yeah, it's kind of a... The whole USADA system, in my opinion, is bullshit and has created so much more problems than it has solutions. Yep, and uh, I preach that to the choir every almost every week here on this podcast. But um, moving on to the main card, uh, finally we arrive. Michelle Waterson is taking, uh, who is fifteen and six, is taking on Felice Herrig, who is fourteen and seven in this strawweight fight. Uh, we had Felice Herrig open up at this one minus one thirty. Michelle Waterson at plus 110. Right now, uh, the line stands exactly the same. Honestly, I think I remember Felice Herrick opening plus 100 in this one, but uh, who knows what this website. Um, 
you know, if, I believe Fleece Hair will get this one done. I don't have much analysis for this one. It's going to be a close, razor-thin fight. Both these girls have, you know, decent stand-up, decent ground game. It's, you know, they're, they're right around the same skill level. It's, you know, there's with 5 through 15 of women's straw weight, every single fight is a toss-up. Every single fight's a pick em. You know, even even if you think that a person has an edge, Angela Hill, it doesn't matter. The, the scorecards are going to dictate differently. So, you know, not much analysis in this one. I'm cheering for Fleece Herrig. Uh, I just like her a lot better. And uh, I, I, ho- I think she'll get this one done, too, honestly. I think she's the better fighter. Yeah, I mean, I don't really have much analysis on this one either. These are definitely two of my not as favorite girls in the strawweight division. Like you said, most of the top 5 through 10 matchups in that division come down to a split decision, unless it's Andrade killing you. But, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of cautious on who I pick here because I just feel like both of their games, like you said, nullify each other so well. Um, yeah, I don't know. This one's tough to pick. I guess I'll, I'll play advocate and go Watterson. Maybe Watterson can mix it up on some exchanges. I mean, Felice's movie tie is legit, but uh, Watterson's got that weird kicking game and, you know, she's got that kind of weird... Uh, She's Mike Winklejohn type she's got Holly Holm stuff. Throws. Good head and arms. Set you up to get your back taken. Felice's rear naked choke's pretty sweet. So I might go Felice then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's unfortunately, you know, both these girls, I think, uh, had close split decisions against Courtney Casey. I think both of them won, but both of them, I think the majority of people agreed they lost. So, you know, who knows? Who knows what to expect with these girls? Uh, yeah. It, if I'm making the card, I toss Vicente Luque versus Jalen Turner in the spot of this. Oh, interesting. Really, I, I think I would. Uh, I, I think I would go with Pettis as the as the as the you know the the opener. Can, yeah, that would be too bad. Not? I mean, it's it's literally the number one contender fight at, at flyweight. That's on the prelims, but regardless. Um, next fight, we have a great matchup in the heavyweight division. We have Derek Lewis, who is. 20 and 5 taking on Alexander Volkov who is 30 and 6. This fight uh, opened up minus 185 for Alexander Volkov plus 160 for Al- uh, Derek Lewis. Right now Volkov is minus 175, Derek Lewis is plus 155. Man, let me tell you something right now. Minus 175 is the steepest favorite I have ever bet on. Previously it was minus 150 for Alex White. That turned out terribly. Uh, you know, every time I bet on favorites, it usually turns out terribly. But uh, fuck it, man. Uh, Alex Volkov is. This is a great matchup for him. You know, he's a long, long uh, striker. He's got great kicks, great jab. You know, good boxing. Also has a good guard. If he if he gets taken down, then he's gonna just put you in his guard and wait till they wait till they stand you up or you know just completely nullify you he, he he's great he uh, had a great performance against Fabricio Verdun where he nullified you know the best heavyweight grappler of all times uh grappling he and then he uh you know butchered him on the feet eventually getting the TKO in the fourth round showed good cardio in that fight showed good composure you know it was his first UFC main event and he handled it greatly on the other hand, Derek Lewis fought Francis Ngannou in the co-main event of UFC 226 in the most boring UFC fight of all time. Uh, it was just a staring contest. Both the guys were scared to throw. Neither one of them wanted to initiate. You know, Derek Lewis claimed he had problems with his back in the fight. 
who the hell knows, man? It's uh, you know, I I just have to go with uh, you know, one guy who's having health issues and you know he's inconsistent. He you know is obviously a great fighter. He's pulled off some great wins in the cage, Derek Lewis. But man, he's fighting a guy who's got his shit figured out right now. He's really in stride, I believe, and I think that Alex Volkov should win this fight very easily. Uh, you know, might TKO Lewis in the later rounds, but should uh, you know just win a decision very decisively, 30-27. Yeah, I'm going to totally agree with you. I mean, this kind of echoes how I felt. I mean, don't get me wrong. Derek Lewis is probably one of my favorites in the business right now, but I just don't think he's gotten serious enough. I think if he changed his diet, you know, and he actually did start rehabbing his back, he could be a force in the heavyweight division. But I think every single one of his fights, he's always got to worry about one punch or, you know, the guy, the guy has a messed up back. And in his last fight, he throws 60 head kicks. You know, there's got to be like some higher level thinking to know that that's probably not going to be conducive to having a healthy back through a three round fight. Like you said, Volkov is just a killer everywhere. And I feel like Volkov's definitely a dark horse in the heavyweight division. Um, I don't know. I know that Derek Lewis has never really been, I mean, he did get knocked out by Mitrione and hunt. The Mitrione knockout was bizarre where Mitrione kind of just like NFL stiff armed him. And then the hunt one was more from back problems, but I wouldn't go. I, w- I wouldn't bet like a KO line on Volkov, but I'm definitely going to take Volkov as a favorite as well. Yeah, uh, I mean Vol- Volkov, man, like you said, dark horse of the you know the division. You know who the hell knows? But right, right now, D- Daniel Cormier versus De- uh, Alexander Volkov, man, I would take Volkov all day. He's got nine inches on Daniel Cormier. He's got nine inches of reach, or nine inches of height, probably even more of reach. You know, Cormier could take him down and pound him out, but man, I'm telling you, Volkov's guard is so good, and his legs are so long, he would hold Daniel Cormier in between his legs, and Cormier wouldn't wouldn't be able to do anything. Um, you know, uh, even though I'm a massive Cormier fan, I think he's one of the greatest heavyweights uh, of all time, but man, what a nightmare matchup if he ever had to face Volkov, but I don't think that fight will happen, and... Um, you know, cheering for the Russian in this one, obviously. Uh, moving on to the next fight, uh, we have Ovens St. Pru, who is 23-11, taking on Dominic Reyes, who is 9-0. Ovens St. Pru opened up plus 165, Dominic Reyes to, at minus 190. And since then, uh, Reyes has shifted a little more to a more of a favorite at minus 225, Ovens St. Pru up to plus 185. Uh, I have already locked into my action on Oban St. Pru in this one. Uh, I might be a little biased because he, he you know, won me some money in his last fight. It's a very similar situation, though. He's fighting a young up-and-coming striker who has looked great in the UFC so far, has not fought the greatest competition, and somehow Oban St. Pru is an underdog. You know, even I got him, I don't know, plus 140, I think, against Tyson Pedro in his last fight, and he's even, he's even steeper in this fight, you know. He obviously got caught in that fight. He got hit really hard. He got rocked, put on his ass, but it didn't matter. He still came back and he submitted him, you know, the same round where he ate all those big shots. I just think that Dominic Reyes is too raw, too unproven. He's got 30 minutes of fight time in his entire pro career, even, you know, three quick first round finishes in the UFC over guys whose UFC record is 5 and 11. Uh, you know, so I have I have no problem playing Ovin St. Pru in this one. I think that he wins this fight. I think that he wins it by submission, and I believe that it happens, you know, pretty early in the fight. I think that, uh, you know, Reyes' ground game is very unknown, 
And I think Ovens is going to, you know, uh, exploit that because Ovens has got an incredible amount of submissions. I want to say probably some of the most submissions in uh, in, in UFC light heavyweight division history. So going to be happy to play Ovens St. Peru in this one. Uh, what are you thinking about this one? Yeah, so you cut out on my feed. I'm not sure if it totally cut out. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've kind of gone back and forth on this one. I'm, I've been so high on Dominic Reyes on his, in his time in the UFC. I think he... He poses a great problem to a lot of the light heavyweights. I mean, you see a guy like uh, God, I'm drawing a blank on his name, middleweight guy who fought uh, Tiago Santos and lost. God, what Eric is Anders? Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith. Oh. You see a guy like Anthony Smith come from 185, and you know he's a pretty decent 185 fighter, and then vaults up to you know not quite title contention, but he's up there now after being Shogun uh, in that short amount of time. I feel like Reyes steamrolls a lot of those guys. Uh, I don't know. Like you said, Ovin St. Pru is is legit. I mean, striking's great. And, I mean, his ground game, that win against uh, – his last win with that Kimura was just amazing to come back after being rocked and, you know, to keep his composure and end up winning against Tyson Pedro. I'd have to go Ovin St. Pru. My head says Ovin St. Pru, but my heart says Dominique Reyes. I wouldn't mind. I think I'm going to probably make a play on Dominique Reyes. Interesting. At, at what by TKO minus two twenty five? Yeah, minus two twenty five TKO. Um, I do know um, Ovin that, that, You know that's, does... that, that's his money line, but his TKO is probably a lot better. <clears throat> yeah, uh, yeah. Let me let's let's check out what his T. I mean, if Reyes wins, it will be by TKO. I mean, we haven't seen him out of the first round yet. I, I think it's highly unlikely that it goes to the decision. Reyes by TKO yeah, mi- minus I mean... one seventeen. His fight <clears throat> against Jeremy. You know, he's fought bums. Jeremy Kimball. You know, a couple of those guys, absolute bums, and it's not like he got him out of there in you know, seconds. It did take him a little while to get in there. And, I mean, in those exchanges, when you're fighting those bums, you can look like a million bucks. When you come in there, get in there with somebody as fast twitch as Ovin St. Prue who can, you know, counter you on turn on a dime, it's going to look a little bit different. Although I do like Reyes is so long and he stays behind a good, nice, long jab that I do see him posing some problems for Ovin St. Prue that Ovin St. Prue is going to have to adapt to early. Yeah, I mean, Ovin's fights are just crazy, man. I mean, he hasn't he hasn't gone to decision since his fight with Ozdemir back in February of 2017. He's active, too. Three and one in the past year. Um, and, you know, the last guy to smoke on the feet, though, is Jimmy Manua. And that was back when Manua was really, uh, really on his run at uh, his best run of his career. I just don't think that, that you can put Reyes and Manawa in the same con- uh, contention right now. You know, yeah. uh, Latifi obviously rocked him on the feet and then choked him out, but I don't see, uh, I, I mean, his his chin is, is, is inc- you know, it's it's he gets cracked a lot and he gets hit, but his chin holds strong. And, uh, man, I, I, I don't think that Reyes will, will be experienced enough. I mean, I think even if you watch his fight with uh, Ron, not Ron Stallings, with the Jared Cannonier, he rocks Cannonier and he gets flustered, like he hurts him and he starts spamming punches and you know like like a, like a guy with a little less experience, and then he eventually you know clips uh, Cannonier and puts him down. But man, I'm not impressed with this his finishing ability at all. And like I said, happy to play OSP. Um, moving on to the co-main event, uh, this might be, I think, your favorite matchup on the card. I mean, how could you not love this matchup? It's, it's just, man, I, I, you know, it's, it's flying under the radar too, man, because we have the, obviously the incredible main event, the lightweight main event, but we also have two of the best guys in the past five years at lightweight finally going at it. Tony Ferguson 
Oh, I don't have his record up. Excuse me. Uh, Tony Ferguson is 23 and three, taking on Anthony Pettis, who is 21 and seven. Both of these guys, former lightweight champions. Um, you know, just we got four lightweight champions at the top of this fight card. It doesn't get any better than that. You know, uh, you know, ones, one, couple of them are are, are fake champions, Tony and Khabib, and then a couple of them are legit champions in Connor and Anthony. But uh, the betting line in this one, surprisingly, uh, Tony Ferguson opened up minus three ten. Uh, Anthony Pettis plus 255 right now uh, people are still betting Tony Ferguson all the way down to minus 360 Anthony Pettis all the way up to th- plus 300 you know Tony Ferguson is coming off of that nasty MCL injury that he suffered on August August 1st I believe uh, or uh, excuse me April April 1st had inc- like massive reconstructive surgery done and he's already back uh, six months later. Just shows you just how obsessed and you know how uh, proactive he is. You know, obviously he's got that crazy, crazy training regimen that we see on social media all the time. And uh, but man, Anthony Pettis, he's uh, coming off of a win against um, Mike Chiesa, UFC 226. He dropped Chiesa in that one. His striking looked pretty good. He has some power behind his hands for the first time in a long time, and then he uh, wrapped up a slick submission for the first time in a long time. You know, just a vintage Anthony uh, Pettis performance in that one. You know, obviously all over a, a low level c- competition like Mike Chiesa. Mike Chiesa just stinks. Um, but uh, I, man. In terms of in terms of betting on this one, you I don't understand how anybody who knows betting would not bet on Anthony Pettis at these odds. Yeah, you're coming off. He's fighting a, a guy who you know is coming off of an injury, a guy who gets hit, doesn't have the, the you know the best defense, and then he all you know he's he's coming against a guy who's gonna try to pressure you, you know, which is his weakness, which is Pettis's weakness, and he's also gonna try to take you down, you know, pound you out, uh, slice you up with elbows, submit you. I don't think uh, Pettis should be worried about submissions because his ground game is so good himself, but he definitely can get taken down and uh, you know pound it, uh, you know, pound it out. I just watched Anthony Pettis versus Dustin Poirier. What an incredible fight in that one! Poirier not really known for his wrestling, but he implemented a wrestling heavy game plan against Anthony Pettis because he knew that is Pettis's weakness. Pettis always gets his back against the cage, and he doesn't circle off the cage. He, you know, he freezes up when when his back's against the cage, and he gets put against the cage and taken down. And then he doesn't do well getting back to his feet. Unfortunately, he he got his back taken by Poirier twice. And man, you better not let your back get taken against Tony Ferguson because he will finish it. So. I think Tony Ferguson is go- is the favorite in this one, but man, some of the odds on Pettis. Pettis by KO is plus eleven hundred. Pettis by submission is plus eleven hundred. Inside the distance is plus six fifty. You gotta stab at those odds. And uh, so I'll, I'll turn this uh, the floor over to you so you can give your take on this one. God, what a fucking fight! I mean, honestly, obviously the main event is massive, biggest fight in UFC history. But I mean, this fight just does almost even more for me. I mean. Tony Ferguson's probably my one of my favorite UFC fighters of all time, and as well as Anthony Pettis, you know, crazy, well-established guys. One of the funnest, you know, games to watch. I've thought this fight out 200 times in my head, and I still am not confident about anything. I think that this fight is just designed for fireworks. I think that, like you said, Tony's pressure game plan, and then Anthony has slick counters, and if Tony wants to take it to the ground and he's in Anthony's guard, Anthony has a live guard. If Anthony gets in Tony's guard, Tony's guard's crazy. I mean, I have no idea what to actually predict for this fight, but I just predict an amazing fight. I think both of these guys 
it's going to be a fight that you'd want to watch every weekend. I think that this could end up being the fight of the night bar the barring the main event, you know, having like a five round wrestle fucking, or, you know, just a quick flash knockout. I mean, in my opinion, this is the fight to watch apart from the main event. I'm sure that's a pretty mutually shared opinion. Um, as far as a prediction goes, I mean, Tony Ferguson is, in my opinion, the best lightweight in the world, but he is there to be hit. His defense is not the best. And I mean, Anthony Pettis, his boxing's not great. You know, he's really a, more a kick-heavy striker. Uh, he did drop Chiesa, like you said, but like same way, I don't hold anything in Chiesa's that Chiesa win. I think Chiesa is massively overrated and that his short stint up to 170 is going to take him on a trip to Bellator. Anthony had that other win over Jim Miller. And I mean, the new Jim Miller is a pretty impressive win to get after this, you know, bout with Lyme disease. I think Jim Miller, you know, is definitely not a bum in any regard. He's definitely still there and he's one of the better guys at 155, tons of experience. But I just, it's difficult for me to really truly believe Anthony Pettis can take this. I don't mind tossing a couple bucks on Anthony Pettis on the KO line. You know, he could have a flash KO where he catches Tony, but I think Tony's just a little bit better everywhere. I think that the pressure is going to be too much for Pettis. I think that Tony is the perfect foil for everybody at 155. I think that his mixture of weird unorthodox striking and his jitsu game takes most people out at 155 and i think pettis is going to be another one of his victims on the way to the belt yeah great great analysis i agree i agree with almost every single point i mean it's just a damn shame this fight couldn't be five rounds right i mean uh i don't know what i don't know you know i agree with what you said about this being a better if i had to you know uh predict which was going to be a better fight you know a more entertaining back and forth contest i would pick this over the main event all day and uh, you know, one thing I can guarantee is is there's gonna be blood. You know, with these these guys, they they both you know they both are get into fucking wars. Tony Ferguson throws vicious elbows. Pettis has got a lot of scar tissue. Was you know has been cut and open in a lot of his fights. You know, Ferguson gets cut fairly easily too. And, uh, you know, with just how, you know, aggressive both these guys are and how active they are, how they both want to finish at all times, never complacent to go to the scorecards, we're going to see some blood in this one, and it's going to be a great fucking fight. For and, sure. I'm looking forward to it. Yep. And it crept up on us quick, man. It seemed like only a couple weeks ago I was I was making a, an announcement for uh, Khabib uh, McGregor. I was doing my mock uh, Bruce Buffer introductions for the two of them because I was so excited when it was announced. But, man, it is already here, ladies and gentlemen. Khabib Nurmagomedov, who is 26-0, and 0, is taking on Conor McGregor, who is 21-3. and 3. The betting line for this one opened up. I'm sure it opened up months ago before this fight was even announced. Khabib Nurmagomedov at minus 185. Conor McGregor at plus 160. Right now, Nurmagomedov is at minus 160. Conor McGregor is at plus 150. 38% of wagers coming in on Khabib Nurmagomedov and 62% of people betting on Conor McGregor. Man, just what I can't stress enough just how incredible this matchup is. It seems surreal that we're getting to see it. It doesn't doesn't feel real almost, you know? In the crazy world of MMA, five days is a lot of time for something to go wrong, and you've seen that happen so many times before. Weight cutting issues, USADA issues, all types of different, uh, you know, problem, medical problems, canceling fights. So fingers crossed, of course, none of that happens here. 
But uh, before we dive into the analysis of this fight, I, I just want to give a little preface into my history and point of view of Conor McGregor throughout his ascension uh, of the UFC. He entered the UFC in April of 2013 and defeated Marcus Brimage. This was a little bit prior to when I got in the UFC. I got into the UFC in uh, around July of 2013. Uh, the first card I really tuned in from start to finish was on August 17th, 2013, headlined by Chael Sonnen versus Shogun Hua. And Conor McGregor was on that card. I watched him fight, you know, before I knew uh, anything about him. I watched him beat Max Holloway. I remember on the prelims, nobody got entrances. Nobody, you know, they never showed anybody walking out of the, you know, the arena. Uh, they, are, they just showed him in the cage already and they were ready to go. And they had a special entrance for Conor McGregor. They filmed him walking out to the arena because at the time he already had a, a decent fan following to him and and obviously after that win he he um started talking a little bit more he excelled himself to his first main event after a, a, a knee injury re, a recovery he headlined against diego brandau in dublin ireland taking him out and man that fight if you watch that shit you fucking knew right there that something special is going on when eight thousand people irish people are losing their fucking mind throwing beers you know just going absolutely bonkers for this dude uh, you know, finish, you know, it, it's something you never see, you know, you, you, you see Americans, you know, get behind a guy every now and then you see, you know, Cleveland's get behind Stipe and, um, you, and, you know, give him a push, but not nothing like this, man, nothing. Uh, you know, he went on to t take out Dustin Poirier on his first pay-per-view after that made it look easy. He mauled Dennis Seaver in a, a total mismatch, but, uh, he still drew 3 million viewers on Fox Sports 1. Right around this time, I hated Conor McGregor. I hated him. He was so cocky. He was predicting all this crazy shit. I, I couldn't stand him. He was coming after Jose Aldo, who was my favorite fighter at the time. I couldn't, you know, uh, I didn't I didn't believe it. I, you know, I, I didn't believe that he was, you know, he was he could back up what he was talking. I, I, I didn't really believe it until he knocked out Aldo. You know, I obviously saw, obviously saw him in that incredible fight versus Chad Mendez and, you know, knew knew that he was legitimate at that. I, I, just, I didn't know the sport enough, well enough back then, though. I didn't recognize talent and, um, you know, and uh, unfortunately I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know, you know, how incredible Connor was at the time. So, uh, you know, moving, he knocked out Jose. He knocked out Jose Aldo. He he got his his interim or his uh, undisputed title at the time. And uh, you know, I eventually had to start had to start uh, respecting him. Had to start realizing this dude's the real fucking deal. Uh, you know, celebrated this loss against Nate Diaz. You know, was so so excited for the upset. You know, was cheering for Nate Diaz um, against him in the rematch. And even though I was cheering for Nate Diaz in this rematch, and even though I thought, you know, the night of the fight, I thought that he was robbed and everything like that, I went back and I rewatched the fight, and I saw Connor get his ass whooped in the third round. Uh, it was might have been a 10-8 round for Diaz, but I don't really think it was. It was a, a really dominant round. And he comes back in the fourth and wins that round, securing the third round for him. He won the first and the second round of that fight, securing the third round, which gave him the majority decision at the end of the fight. And it was then I knew that Conor McGregor was a special, special fighter. I recognized his talent before this. I recognized his aura, but I didn't recognize how much heart 
this guy had until that fourth round of that fight. And from that point on, I was a fan of the guy. Leading up to the UFC 205 fight, I was a fan of Conor McGregor. I was preaching to everyone, Conor McGregor's going to take out Eddie Alvarez. It didn't matter that Conor was a featherweight for most of his career. Uh, it didn't matter that Alvarez had just beaten Rafael Dos Anjos. The size, the wrestling, it didn't matter. Conor went into Madison Square Garden in the great state of New York, the state that Eddie Alvarez trains out of. You know, he was from the East Coast. He was a Philadelphia guy. He's a New Jersey, New York guy. He moves all up and down the tri-state area. And Conor McGregor comes into his home and steals the fans, steals all of the attention, steals the media. And, uh, you know, Eddie lost that fight before he stepped in the octagon. Eddie was knocked down three or four times in the first round. He somehow made it to his corner for the, the bell and then was eventually uh, TKO'd in the second round in pretty, uh, I wouldn't say brutal, I would say, uh, you know, quick and precise and just lethal, lethal punches from Conor McGregor that TKO'd Eddie Alvarez that night. And it, it was just a, a, a different type of performance, you know, he went in there calm, calculated, and uh, you know, it didn't matter that that uh, there was a bigger champion. It didn't matter that he was going to be the first simultaneous UFC double weight champion. None of that mattered. Connor just went in there and took him out with no emotion and with pr just precise skill, power, and accuracy. And uh, I knew I witnessed something special, and it, uh, I believe it still stands out as one of the most impressive performances in UFC history. And that was the moment when I transitioned from a fan of Conor McGregor to uh, a diehard fan for life. And, you know, I was already training a little bit at the time, training two days a week, was enjoying it. But that weekend, after that weekend, I immediately ramped up how many times I was training. I was training four or five times a week. I was staying after class and hitting the bag and pretending to be Conor McGregor. And for the first time, I was actually motivated to, to be like somebody in the UFC. And that man was Conor McGregor. And since then, man, I've been riding or fucking dying for him. And I pretty much will for through thick and thin, you know, through the bus incident, through any incident. Um, you know, uh, I, I will be there on by Conor McGregor's side. So, uh, before we talk about the fight quick, give me, give me your opinion, you know, throughout, throughout, you know, his reign in the UFC, throughout his ascension in the UFC, what were you thinking about Conor McGregor and what do you think about him now? Yeah. So ironically, the very first time I saw him was his first UFC fight. I've been a hardcore fan for a while. I think the pay-per-view I really got into was Anderson versus Chael too. I remember the day, like so clearly, you know, it was, Originally, that card was supposed to be Musasi versus Alexander Gustafson, and I was so psyched for that fight. I had my iMac in my living room, and I was like, okay. Oddly enough, uh, that was also Ryan LaFlair's debut, I believe, as well. I saw on that preliminary pre preliminary card, sorry, that was aired on, used to be aired on Facebook. Uh, it was Reza Matty, Michael Johnson, uh, Ryan LaFlair, Ben Alloway, so a bunch of different names. And then here's this guy coming from Cage Warriors, you know, really cocky guy, and just dismantles Marcus Brimage. I remember just being puzzled at, like, the uppercuts and the weird stepaways and just, like, this... I'd never seen striking like it, you know, and super charismatic guy. So I was like, you know... I mean, it shocked me. I, I, was, I was on the bandwagon ever since then after seeing that first fight, and, you know... You know, the Dustin Poirier fight, obviously, like you said, kind of 
the most confusing fight he had was Dennis Seaver. I don't really know why that matchup was made. I think my personal favorite fight was the Diego Brandau fight. Something about that fight for me, I really thought he was going to get stopped by Brandau. I mean, Brandau is legit, won the ultimate fighter, seemed just like a wrecking ball. And, you know, him just starching Diego Brandau and stuffing that takedown, you know, I always thought the ground game was going to kill him. He had that win over Max Holloway before the Diego Brandau win. But ever since the Diego Brandau win, I've been on board. I love Dustin Poirier. And, you know, I think Connor beating Dustin Poirier has arguably made Dustin Poirier better. And, I mean, you know, he's just so many classics. UFC 189, the fight against Chad Mendez, is like something out of a movie. The Jose Aldo flash knockout, the Nate Diaz two fights, like you said, the Alvarez fight. He's done so much for the UFC. I know he's had some mistakes, but all these people, you know, the cynics who come out whenever he fights and just say that he's a sham, you're crazy. You know, he's he's given so much quality entertainment to the UFC and he's brought so many different more fans to the sport. You know, I think he's going to I think he's going to keep fighting after this fight and I think his legacy will live on. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I can't understand, you know, the you know, the mentality behind not liking the guy you know he he's he's revolutionized mma he's he's changed everything about it you know almost nothing is the same as it was but in 2013 you know we were uh, it's just you know you had the stars back then were silva and gsp you know two respectful guys didn't talk much shit you know you know there were press conferences weren't really big for for fights if you if you know if you had you know you had to have two guys with incredible skill who were fighting one another to sell a pay-per-view and if you didn't have that it wasn't going to do good buys no one really thought about the fact that you could sell the pay-per-view on the microphone before and that's what Conor McGregor revolutionized he you know man if you would have told me a UFC fighter would have 24 million followers on Instagram a couple years ago i would have told you you're crazy and man, it just it just goes to show how you know revolutionary this guy is. How much he's transcended the sport, and how much he's grown the sport. How much he's influenced that that four billion dollar price tag the UFC sold for. It's uh man, it's 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 something something special to admire. And I'm really really glad I got to witness it. And um, you know I'm really really glad I got to be a, fa- a fan of the guy. So with that being said, we're going to start talking about how the fight is going to play out now. Um, you know, there, there's honestly, I, I, despite it being, you know, the biggest fight in the UFC history, I think that you know the analysis for it isn't isn't too in depth. You know, we know Khabib is going to look for the takedown. If Khabib takes McGregor down, uh, you know, he he's going to do a lot of damage to McGregor. I don't think McGregor is going to be able to get up if Khabib gets down. You know, he might he might ride out a round for five minutes and get get to the second round. But shit, man! If I do not think McGregor has the wrestling ability or the jujitsu, you know, sweeps or anything to to be able to get up from Khabib Nurmagomedov's top pressure. That being said, I don't. I do not believe that Khabib Nurmagomedov has the ability to stand with Conor McGregor at all. I think that if it stands for, man, more than thirty seconds. It, it, it will be over for Khabib. Uh, it, it, you know, despite his coaches saying that, it's, that you know, that it's, there's going to be some stand-up, despite, you know, him standing up in his last fight and, you know, testing his striking a little bit, I, 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 hard, I find it hard to believe that Khabib is going to do anything but go out there and shoot right off the bat. Uh, you know, it's not like it's... It, 
I would I would you know say that it's it's almost impossible that McGregor is going to knock out uh, Khabib with a knee on the way in for a takedown. So I, I can't see how it's not um, not uh, you know Khabib's best choice, or just like straight up pulling guard or some shit, man. You know, just like literally the fight starts, biggest fight in history, and Khabib pulls guard. Imagine that, man. You know, who, what, what the fuck would happen then? Who who knows? So um, you know, obviously Connor's got the touch of death. He's got some of the best accuracy, the best power, the best precision we've ever seen a puncher have in the UFC. And and Khabib Nurmagomedov's got some of the best wrestling, the best takedowns, the best top pressure, and the best ground and pound we've ever seen in the UFC. It's a 100 total, 100 total clash of styles. You can't be confident in either side. Any motherfucker is telling you this fight is more than 60 40 one way is crazy because it's not. Um, and you know, the, the, let's see what the the betting line minus 160 divided by 260. I think is I don't know 62.5 percent. Oh no, it's uh let's see uh yep 61.5 percent. So the people who are betting on that, I guess they're valuing a little bit more than 60 percent for Khabib. But man. If we're talking value on a betting line, the betting line is on, the values on Connor uh, plus one fifty. It's it's no doubt that this fight is is closer than plus one fifty, and I think that uh, you know Connor McGregor's price will start to drop soon. You know the casual money, the UK money, the hype money will start coming in, and that will favor Connor. I think that it'll close around minus one thirty Khabib minus one twenty for Connor. So if you want to bet on this fight, get your action in in now. Uh, if you're betting Connor, if you're betting Khabib, I would suggest waiting for a few days or donating your money to a lost dog shelter because um, that would be a better way to spend money than on Khabib. Just kidding. Um, so, yeah, you know, putting putting the fan bias aside, you know, thinking from an, an, an analytical standpoint, this is a raise within contest. It has, you know, high, high stakes. I know that my favorite fighter can get taken down and, you know, absolutely toyed with on the ground, absolutely dominated. And, uh, you know, hoping that doesn't happen. Uh, you know, if I have to pick one way I see the fight going out, obviously I think Connor will, will catch him. I think that in the first... Shit, man! The first round that Conor McGregor will land the touch of death, and uh, it'll put Khabib, it'll put Khabib Nurmagomedov on his butt, and uh, you know it's just a matter of time before Conor finishes and before then. So uh, I'll turn the floor over to you, and you can give me your analysis of how you see this fight playing out. Yeah, so you know the ongoing narrative. Every single video prediction video you watch, the guy starts in and says everybody knows that it's 50 50 either mcgregor's gonna hit him with a touch of death or khabib's gonna take him down and smother him i don't see it being 50 50 i think people are crazy if they think that mcgregor's not going to be able to touch khabib up even if khabib secures a takedown fairly early in the round the first round mcgregor's gonna be able to survive the top pressure khabib has so much hype coming in on with a justifiably great top game, but I don't think he has the jujitsu and I don't think he's going to be able just to TKO McGregor outright off of a takedown, you know, from a single leg or anything that he gets from the cage, especially even if he takes him out off in the middle of the cage. I mean, McGregor's a good grappler. He's not on Nergamanov's level, but he's going to be able to survive. If he survives the takedown in the first round, he comes out in the second. Believe it or not, I know Khabib has a great gas tank, but Khabib's going to be exerting himself this fight. He's got a lot of emotional energy coming in in this fight. I, I'm with you. I mean, I don't see any way that Connor doesn't at least catch him. You go back and you watch Khabib's fights, even if you're one of the cynics that argued that he was just toying with Ally Aquinta, you don't toy with someone 
with a championship on the line. Now, he showed a decent jab, but apart from that, his head movement is rudimentary and he moves in a linear one-dimensional plane. McGregor is going to circle around him, avoid takedowns, and launch left hands. I wouldn't even be surprised if we saw the return of McGregor's kick game to the head, at least, I don't know, to the body. I don't think McGregor is going to worry too much about getting a head kick caught, and I think it's going to play into setting up his left hand a little bit more with uh, Khabib coming just straight at him and trying to cut him off. Uh, I've really lost the ability to see Khabib winning by just smashing McGregor for five rounds or smashing him really early. The only way I can see this fight now is by McGregor TKO and Khabib at some point in the fight. I don't. I think Khabib ha- holds some great wins, but like I said, I think Tony on any given night, Tony could beat Khabib. I think Poirier versus Khabib would be a close fight. I know Khabib's twenty six and zero, and he holds a massive resume, but I think there's a little bit of smoke being blown up his ass. People want to say that since he's at AKA with Cormier and Rockhold and everybody in the massive record, it makes him just this unbeatable force. But I just don't see it here, and I think McGregor is. Definitely justifiable. I would toss some money in on him, and I see McGregor by TKO. Yeah, and, uh, you know, just pointing out a few more of Khabib's weaknesses. He he fought Michael Johnson. He was, you know, not I wouldn't say rocked. I would say wobbled by a punch that Michael Johnson threw. Obviously, Michael Johnson is is no joke, man. He one-punch knockout uh, Dustin Poirier not that long ago. So, you know, he's obviously very, very legit, but, I mean, Michael Johnson's terrible on the ground. Edson Barbosa's terrible on the ground. Ali Quinta, uh, you know, has got decent wrestling, but, you know, he, he fared well on the ground. He, you know, against a guy with decent wrestling, Khabib was not able to implement that world-beating style he always has. Like you said, yeah, he was, you know, he he, he went into that, that Ally Quinta fight, and his coaches were yelling at him, saying, stop standing, take the fight down, and he was continuing to stand and kickbox with Ally Quinta. Man, you know, if, when you're going into the, a fight against the most dangerous puncher in the UFC, and your last fight you were disobeying your coach's orders and you know doing you know t- standing when he told you to to uh, you know take the fight to the ground, man, that's a huge huge red flag. You know, uh, I don't I don't rate Khabib's ego too high. I don't think that he you know was uh, you know I I, I I think that he was trying to stand in that fight to prove that his standing stand up is good. Um, you know, and I think that he won those rounds against Ally Quinta. I think that, I think that Khabib's stand up is even better than Connor's wrestling. But man, I just don't see how a guy who relies on sloppy striking to close the distance to, in order to shoot for a takedown is going. He can't rely. He can't use that sloppy striking. If he he thro- spams one two one two one two shoot, that's what he does. If he spams that one two one two, he's going to be knocked out before he can shoot. That's just the way it's going to go. So. Man, you can think about this fight all all day. You get you get you know butterflies thinking about it. I think it starts off, and I don't think I think Connor will stand will will take the center of the octagon and you know be stand out uh, you know nice and long. I don't think he'll try to kick. I think that you know he, his the kicks are too risky for getting taken down. I think that it will just be a, a straight boxing uh, you know a game plan from Connor, and I think that Connor will win with that boxing game plan. So. Um, you know, just in, I can't can't fucking wait. Five days away. You know, just praying to the MMA gods that everything stays intact. Praying that everything is is okay and everybody makes weight. You know, uh, obviously Khabib has had problems with his weight before. Never miss weight, but he has you know um, 
Actually, no, he did one time. Yeah, he got pulled off the card one time, UFC 209, when he missed uh, missed weight. But, uh, you know, praying to God that that does not happen. It's very, very unlikely that he would throw away the biggest fight of his uh, career for a weight problem. So, um, you know, just I hope everybody enjoys the card. I obviously hope Conor wins. I hope, uh, you know, it, it lives up to the uh, expectations of everybody. And uh, any more uh, closing thoughts on the card in the main event? Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is a great card. I re- Like I said, I really hope, like you said, I really hope there's no weight issues, nobody pulls out. And I mean, I mean, really when it comes down to the end of it, I just think the, you know, the different combinations we could have at the lightweight title picture right now, you know, McGregor wins and Tony Ferguson wins or, you know, Khabib and Tony or, you know, just those different matchups are just such interesting matchups. And I mean, it just makes the card so just you know the mcgregor effect makes it fun to watch but there's just so many different outcomes in those two last fights that make the lightweight division just such a great division yeah like we said four champions four lightweight champions at the top of this card and uh it just doesn't get much better than that um you know uh, the the betting lines have been out for a long time on this one i imagine we might see some we might see some more um more uh, personalized lines. Uh, apparently, back in the day, but for live lines on Conor McGregor fights, they would have more than two props. You know, either money lines or fight goes the distance. You know, they they would have uh, you know odds makers ready to go with more dynamic lines for those these live bets. So hopefully, we see that. Maybe we'll see some like glove touch props and whatnot. I've actually already seen them on some other books, but not five dimes yet. So hopefully, they uh, they transition over to five dimes. You know, they have. Uh, you know, so and so by KO in one round, or you know, uh, McGregor wins in the first minute at plus eight hundred. Man, that that's that's action right there. I hope I hope I see that line on five dimes. But um, you know, just like I said, Saturday night can't fucking come soon enough. This it crept up as qu- very very quickly. You know, luckily I was you know just starting school and doing all this crazy stuff, and you know my life's been moving fast, and uh, it just this shit just you know popped up out of nowhere. And uh, you know, I just I, I can't fucking wait uh, to see Connor back in the in the MMA octagon. You know, there was a chance uh, a couple couple months ago where we would never we thought that he might not fight MMA again, and if he did, he would just come back for the easy fights against Nate Diaz or GSP or something like that. No, no, he came back against the hardest fucking fight in the division, the worst nightmare matchup possible the fight that people thought that what did that connor would never accept a couple of months ago oh he 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 fought floyd mayweather there's no way he's coming back from the greatest boxer in the world to fight one of the best wrestlers in the world wait a minute he that's exactly what he fucking did and uh, you know he's not scared he's he's you know he he knows his abilities more than anybody He's, you know, confident in himself. He, he he predicted the future, you know, so many times before. And, uh, you know, I'm, I believe in him still. And, uh, you know, obviously he had that quick stint in the boxing world where, you know, he looked, you know, uh, human. He looked, you know, beatable. But, man, this is, this is MMA. This is a whole different game. And this is where Conor McGregor is one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. So, um... With that being said, that'll that'll wrap up the analysis for for the UFC 229 card. 
Um, I, I believe that's going to be all for the podcast this week. We don't have much much uh, um, stories coming out for for uh, the rest of the week. You know, right now uh, McGregor and Khabib are doing a lot of media, man, a lot of media for the, for the week of the fight. They're doing you know the MMA hour right now. They're on Conan O'Brien on Wednesday. They're doing a press conference on Thursday. Open workouts on so and so. You know the the media media day on one day. Then they have the weigh-ins. It's going to be a busy fucking week, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, just like I said pray to the MMA gods that this card stays intact, that nothing bad happens, and uh, no, no, uh, no, you know, tragedies happen in the next five days. So, uh, you want to give your, you know, just your closing thoughts on, on everything real quick? Yeah, I mean, just, man, looking forward to it. I mean, if you cover up the main event and the fight under, you know, obviously not the greatest card ever, but, uh, yeah, you know, Every time McGregor fights, it's a spectacle. That that fight's actually going to be like the day before my birthday. So I thought it was super sick how that worked out because I'm just going to go with like a bunch of my boys and, you know, everybody and go watch it then. So, yeah, looking forward to it. I think, you know, both guys, I, I wouldn't be mad if either guy won, you know. So I think Khabib would have an interesting title run. And, you know, obviously Connor's nothing but entertainment. So, yeah, looking forward to it, man. Like you said, hoping no injuries happen and – just can't fucking wait. Yeah, well, uh, th- thanks for joining me on the program to to an uh, to predict it, to break it down, to analyze it. You know, it's been a pleasure, like always, my man. And uh, have a have a very happy birthday uh, on uh, October fifth. Uh, I hope your present is Connor bringing you the touch of death to Khabib's chin. Yeah, looking forward to it. Hope so. Thanks for having me back on, man. Yep, thank you. Thank you for joining me again. And ladies, gentlemen, boys, girls, aliens, Martians, any conscious being tuning into the podcast, thank you for tuning in to this special episode of the UFC 229 breakdown of Martian MMA. And I will see you guys uh, next week. Connor Bless. Peace.